0: Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Untethering Shame podcast, a podcast where we're bringing hard topics out of the shadows and into the light as we move from shame-ridden to shame-resilient lives. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dina Chopolis to the podcast for a much-needed discussion on shame and chronic pain. Dina is a genuine powerhouse in this field and someone that instantly makes you feel safe, which is key when talking about such important and often difficult topics, After her own experiences watching loved ones and clients in a constant struggle with chronic pain, shame, and low self-efficacy, Dina found herself called to shift gears and become a voice in the fight against chronic pain. She's a certified coach, pain educator, curator, and podcaster, and uses her voice to try and raise awareness about what chronic pain is, the ways it shows up in our bodies, and how it's connected to our long silenced, stifled, and often dismissed mental and emotional health. Her goal is empowerment and education. She wants to raise awareness around what it means to have a chronic pain diagnosis and to see it with sincerity and seriousness. And she wants to empower who she calls the chronic pain warrior to be an equal voice at the decision-making table and to own their life experiences, choices, and realities so they can change their relationship with pain and thrive. Dina, welcome. I'm so excited. Wow. Oh, thank you. That's that's just the best introduction I think I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the first person to say that. And I think it's just the idea that I get so excited to introduce people. It's Um. like like when I sit and write each one of my little intros for people, I go down a rabbit hole, like, Mm -hmm. because I'm just, so I only want to talk to people who, it doesn't have to be people that think the same as me, but it's people with an energy that I'm excited to know. And that, and then you want to tell people about it. You want to give like, what's the 30 second clip to help capture how special this person is (laughs) on the other side of this. So, so yes, I, it's, I have been excited about this episode since we recorded our interview for your summit, where I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, meeting this person is amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. (laughs) So I love to start every episode, just getting kind of an emotional gauge where we're at in the room. So if you could describe how you feel right now with one word, how would you describe it? Oh, okay. I'm going to put some thought into this. My first
1: thought was frazzled only because I just got home from picking up my son from school and I was two minutes before we pressed the record button. Oh, I know that feeling. That's a hard one. Okay. I like it. But, frazzled. but uh-huh. beyond that, I would say based on just us sharing this energy together, I just feel the sense of flow.
0: Mm. Yeah. Good. Flow. I love it. I love it. I actually just finished watching the movie Soul. Have you seen it yet? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, I did. Fantastic. Yeah. And there's like this part in there. I. Sometimes I think as a therapist, I need to learn how to turn that part of my brain off because I'm watching everything through a therapeutic lens. And then I I did it to a coaching client the other day where I pulled out a book on emotions from my my three-year-old's bookshelf and was reading a book to a client because I'm like this, it just, there's ways that we can receive information in such a different way. But one of the things in there is there's like this image of flow and obsession and sort of negative obsessional thinking can exist. They're so close to each other. And so we can be in a state of flow, but we can get obsessed. We can overdo it. And it's just this beautiful visual. And so I love when you're describing this flow state, because so much of what I'm trying to do is to optimize the time I'm in a state of flow, because my brain is programmed to go to the state of obsession. My my anxious, my shame ridden, you should be doing Mm -hmm. more, taking more on, having more, Yes. But instead going like, how do you just find flow and comfort in what you're in? So I'm, yeah. I'm honored that you feel that coming into this space too.
1: Yes, absolutely. And one of my favorite words is contentment. And that is hard to get to, right? Yes. But yeah. So I, I, I felt that way after our last conversation and I really, I, and I wanted you to know that because it's not often
0: something we share, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm curious because, you know, one of the things I was excited about is getting to learn more about you, getting to learn more about I know what you're what you stand for, but I'm curious how you got here because you can tell there is such commitment and passion mm-hmm. to the work you're doing when it comes to chronic health and trauma and understanding what's happening in the body. And so mm-hmm. You know, I know you have some history of things that have happened with your parents, witnessing things with your clients. Mm. There's been a lot of observational learning. Right. But what is it truly that you witnessed, endured, you know, processed? How did you get here Mm. to be the person that is so in that state of flow to have these conversations? Mm. Oh, so I would
1: say the witnessing was pretty powerful. I do live with intermittent pain and I'm always very clear and upfront about that because often, you know, those who live with chronic pain will say upfront before you offer any advice, do you live with chronic pain? Mm. And I think it's really important for them to know, you know, I only live intermittently with pain due to migraines. So what I witnessed though, gave really probably the most amount of power, um, to hear my mom say the day before she died, I can't do this anymore. You know, it was very much wrapped into stress, wrapped up into shame, wrapped up into um, illness, wrapped up into everything that surrounded her in that moment. And so I was moved Initially, because I thought, you know, stress. Ooh, I thought I was going to be the stress police and I was going to yeah. focus on stress because she was just undergoing so much stress at that point. But then I've sort of, you know, that was an underlying tone to what I did. But then I kind of moved away from that. And then I witnessed my dad also, you know, he was healthy forever. And then just started to crumble and it came apart mm-hmm. quickly at the seams. And to the point where there was so many diagnoses and so much medication coming in that he was in a severe overwhelm mode. And he said to his four girls, you know, I, I want you to make the decisions for me. And I thought, I don't want anyone to have to be so overwhelmed that they can't even muster up the voice that they need in that moment to be, you know, at the decision-making table. So I do think that that was part of it. And then also just witnessing my husband, he was, he was born with a rare metabolic disorder and to see him, you know, explain his life to me and all the things that he has learned as a result of having this illness um, and really being his, his own self-advocate has really taught me so, so much. Mm -hmm. And then just clients, you know, they, I, I, they are the experts. Those who live with pain day and day are, are the experts and I'm learning from them.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, I love that. I think that's so much about, sometimes I joke that I feel like I have, when you're in the therapy room or you're working with somebody, like your job is to be there for them. It's to hear their right. stories, to be a part of it. You know, they're mm-hmm. sharing and sort of appropriate disclosure. But sometimes I feel like they're the deepest relationships I have because it's the realist conversations to really connect with people in different ways and to understand things. And I leave sort of understanding my own view of the world and how I show up differently. And I think it's really interesting. So you started this, I mean, I'm, my stomach started to feel heavy as you were talking, just thinking about the layering of Mm -hmm. pain that you were experiencing and absorbing, but also were aware of that was being experienced by your parents, by these other people, knowing your husband's story But I also really appreciate up front, you kind of made this point about, so I live with intermittent pain, Mm. people with chronic health. There's going to be people listening to this that Mm. self-identify or have been diagnosed as having some sort of a chronic health disorder or diagnosis. I also really think it's a term kind of on the flip side, like when mindfulness and meditation just became like the word the or uh like we were saying it all the time we didn't even know what it is mm-hmm. I feel like chronic pain and in, in the opposite way is sort of thrown about like stress now to the point yeah. where I don't think people even really know what it means and we yeah. don't take it very seriously as a culture mm-hmm. and so maybe before I ask you all the burning questions that are coming up how would you define chronic pain? What does that actually mean? If somebody's like, I have chronic pain or they think they might, or they've heard the term, what does that even mean?
1: Right. So before I get into a clear answer hopefully clear answer um i i do believe that that is m- our main problem as a society we are trauma uninformed we are mm-hmm. pain uninformed so you know it's understandable that a lot of people are in a position that they are in they're not getting the information so chronic pain truly means it is beyond three months time frame where there should have been the healing But there's still pain. So for example, if you did some damage, you broke your ankle, um, you strained a tendon, you pulled a ligament, there is pain with that and pain is very protective. But once we get to a certain point where the pain should have healed, you know, the images are showing, hey, there's nothing wrong here. But inside your body and your being, you know, I'm still in pain, something's not right that tends to be when we are sliding into chronic pain. So it's a time frame. Um and then things become very different as a process. Chronic pain is very different than acute, but the
0: confusing part is they feel exactly the same. Right. Well, it's so I've never heard it described through a timeline before so immediately i went to it's the distinction between acute stress disorder and ptsd it's right. the the 30 day mark before we can even consider ptsd because yes. there's a natural point where you might have some like very acute High distress, high trauma symptoms that make complete sense given what you went through. And then, even though it still makes sense, if it yeah. becomes PTSD, it's different and not everybody gets to that point. So, we have to watch sort of the natural progression and trajectory of someone's experience. And so, I'm assuming some of that is the body, some of that is how the body has healed, the body learning a new way to function in the world. Mm-hmm. But I know a lot of this, and again, I think this has gotten used against people, but I know a lot of this is psychosomatic, is mental health, it's emotional health, it's oh, trauma, yeah. it's, you know, the body keeps the score, which everybody yes. says, but I think only like six people have actually read the real book. Yes, yeah, So Because it's very, it's very dense. So I think a lot of people cut out. I didn't, even in my master's program, I didn't actually read it until like six years after. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's so much more than that. And so, but the downside I think is because we're still, if we te- if we tether those two things back together, the idea of what's well, in your head, mm-hmm. up, it's not real. And so that seems to me to be a big, part of where the shame is in there. It's like, okay, so it's lasted longer than three months. This is a you problem because you're stuck somewhere mentally and emotionally and you need to figure that out. Yeah. This is not, this isn't real. It's made yeah. up.
1: Yeah. I think you just nailed the um, hammer on the head as far as where it <laughs> comes from when it yeah. comes to chronic pain, because it does, it flips back to why are you still in pain? Why are you not better? What are you not doing right? Right. Yes. And so you touched on it earlier, you said the word layering, and I'm really thankful you said that because we believe and and we treat pain currently as a very um, acute thing where, Mm -hmm. you know, it is injury damage to the tissues um, and that's the biological piece. But what we know and about chronic pain, even chronic illness is that, it is always biological, psychological, and social in nature. So what does that mean? Okay, biological, we are really good at. We know it's all about the scans, the treatments, the diagnoses, the, the deficiencies, the, um, what's going on in your biology. And even trauma has its biology as well, right? Mm-hmm. As we talked about in the summit, uh, and then there's the psychological. So even just saying that word can be quite triggering in the sense that mm-hmm. for our community has heard way too many times. It's all in your head. The psychological means um, the thoughts, the the, the beliefs. Um, you know the 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 <laughs> there's the the sorry brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> the thoughts, the beliefs, the the what the culture we grow up in, um, the negative bias that we have, the words we tell ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, the emotional side, the anxiety, the depression, all of these things come into the psychological aspect, your values, you know, all of these things are really important in the lived experience of pain. And then we have the social piece, which is, you know, we are hardwired to be With groups of people. Um, The social is also the environment we live in, the environment Mm -hmm. we work in, uh, connecting with others, meaningful connections, isolation, culture, what you grew up in, lived experience, past trauma. You know, there's everything matters. And it's such a layered approach when it comes to chronic pain.
0: Mm. It's so... I think back when I was starting my internship, I worked at a county mental health center and then I worked at an eating disorder clinic and saw very different patients in different settings. And in the county mental health center, there was this patient that had been there for decades and she mm-hmm. would basically come and see all of the interns mm-hmm. and she just kind of got passed along from place to place to place. And, and I was really bad at talking about emotions. Like that was the number one thing I would get as feedback is you're doing fantastic. You have such great insight, your ability to tie pieces together. You could, you could do better with maybe sitting with emotions a bit longer, which as somebody who grew up in a Midwestern family, where the only thing that I knew was passive aggressiveness and stifling your emotions, like that was new for me. Mm -hmm. And, and it was hard because there's no, like sitting, like, what are we doing with it? We're just going to sit here and be sad. Like, what's the point? And so I had to really, I <laughs> had to really work on that. Yeah. And I was learning this in tandem with, I got this patient mm-hmm. and gosh, she was just, I mean, just when we think about trauma stories, when we think she was, I think in maybe her sixties, maybe seventies at the time she started seeing me, I think it was sixties and, but trauma from the time she was like five years old and chronic, I mean, Right. traumatic experience through traumatic experience and she just never really healed mm-hmm. and I think she just had comfort in coming someplace to talk but there was a point where I was doing some of this work and starting to connect how the this was maybe when I read chapter one of the body keeps the score <laughs> and I was like this is too much but I did start to really think about trauma and how it's getting housed in the body and uh-huh. how she had chronic pain she had she had had an accident like 30 years prior, and she was still having pain mm-hmm. all the time. And I, I remember saying something to the effect of, I'm asking for your grace, because I'm, I don't know if I'm going to say this in, mm-hmm. in the most inclusive or kind of mm-hmm. open way. And cause I, I was trying out how to, how to say hard things, knowing I was probably going to screw it up. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the things I said is I wonder if this isn't actually your back. Right. If your back is trying to communicate with you that there's something else going on and the yes. only way it's getting your attention yes. is by showing up here. Yes. And what would it look like if we saw that as an opportunity to go somewhere else, to stop mm-hmm. focusing on the back? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what this experience is like for you every day and how this feels and how it's taking so much away. But I feel like we're staying at a surface point if we go mm-hmm. here. hmm what if this was something different? And her reaction, because she had had people say to her before, this is all in your head. I said, I think that you've only heard it as a bad thing. Uh-huh. What if that is an actually a positive thing? What if we're tracking it back to its source and now we know where to go? Yes. I didn't know where to go with it because I'm like six months into being a therapist and still learning as I go. But it it was such an awesome experience when I could just see her face being like, Oh, it might be something else, Uh but you don't think I'm weak because of it. And that was just this incredible Mm. reframe for me just to think about that. So I, I wonder how many people. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just going to stop because my brain's going somewhere else but I want yeah. you to
1: add. <laughs> okay, I love that you brought this up because uh first of all, it just goes to show how important y- you set up that question. You know, you you framed the question a way that was not that was safe, pardon me, and I think that's important because yeah. safety is paramount when it comes to chronic pain. Um what it also did was allow for the reframe to sort of understand that this is an opportunity as opposed to a you've done something wrong, or it's mm. all in your head, or it's, you know, and that, again, states safety, mm-hmm. right? And so in your young, getting started in this mm-hmm. field, you were way beyond your years in the sense that you you picked up on exactly what you needed to do in that moment. And so mm. the reaction she had was not defensiveness, which clearly states she felt safe in that moment. Right. Yeah, So there is so much to that because, you know, pain gets really complicated and it's really interesting because especially lower back, Mm -hmm. lower back pain is very often tied into the emotional side, but Mm -hmm. that's just not often
0: explored. Mm -hmm. Well, it's so tricky because I see this now. So years Prior to that, and I never connected the dots until most of them are actually connecting right now in this moment. So I'm going to let that fusion happen at the same time (laughs) we're talking, but I had had an experience. I'd had like chronic pain. Mm -hmm. It was in my gallbladder or in this area near my gallbladder. We didn't know at the time what it was. I somehow it happened where I started getting gallbladder functioning tests. My gallbladder was not functioning. It was basically like 11% working. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of met with two different providers at the time, one provider who knew I had a history of an eating disorder and just assumed that I was still engaging in eating disorder behaviors and lying. So very much like an addict is an addict. Like this Mm. is just what you're doing this. You're in pain. You're just looking for something. Oh boy. The other side was we should take your gallbladder out Mm. and. And I was like, all right. And at that point I'd been in pain. I mean, days, weeks, months. I mean, I think it was almost six or eight months at that point before I had this appointment. Mm -hmm. And it was to the point I was like eating hurt, which is really hard when you are working on your eating disorder recovery. Mm -hmm. I'm like not wanting to stand up. I'm not wanting to do things. I'm getting pain in the other parts of my body because I'm compensating, because I don't want to sit, you know, taking a deep breath hurt. And so I got this appointment with a surgeon. And at that point I was like, Take the fucking thing out. Like yeah. I don't get it want it. I need a solution as quick as possible. And somebody <laughs> offered that this is the solution, so I want it. Make <laughs> it go away. Which is another part of it where so many people I think get stuck in oh, just yes. the medication cycle or the surgical cycle. Is like I'm. I've been here too long without an open conversation. That now all I can do is I just need to get away from this pain. It's kind of like yeah. whack a mole. Like just get me anywhere but here. Yes. And the surgeon. I like I was infuriated. She was late. She was like hours—not even an exaggeration. Like, and at least an hour, hour and a half late to our appointment. And like so bad that the clinic gave me a voucher to go get food because I was there so long waiting for her to come into the room. But it was because apparently she takes such care with each patient. She would spend all this time with them. I still think there's a balance, you know, because people have things to do. But I appreciated it because when she came in to see me, she started looking at everything, and I was like 24. At the time, she started asking questions about my mental health, my trauma history. I had had PTSD, but at this point, nobody had made the diagnosis. I actually didn't get a diagnosis till I was 32 that it was actually PTSD. Wow. Um, even though people knew, like I had an ACE score through the roof, which yeah. is adverse childhood experiences for anyone that hasn't seen that before, but she's like, gosh, let's, I don't think we should take this out. And my first reaction was, I want to throat punch you because you wasted so many hours and now you're not even going to do the thing. And so what what do I do? Nothing helps. Nothing works. Ibuprofen doesn't touch it. I also don't want to take ibuprofen the rest of my life to function. I'm 24. Yeah. And she's like, I just don't even think there's a 50% chance that if I take this out, you're going to feel better. I think it's something different. And I think we have to explore it. Yeah unfortunately, the docs I saw after that were still kind of in this, like, I think it's an eating disorder thing. So I had to do a lot of work to find the right doctor, which Mm -hmm. maybe we put a pin in that and come back to, because I think finding the right doctor or the right medical and mental health team to support you with chronic pain is really tricky. And that's why people get in that place of disempowerment. Mm -hmm. But eventually I did get there. And I think at the time my husband was in med school and my mother-in-law was very, I wouldn't say anti-Western medicine, but like we're not just going to do surgery for no reason, like take her seriously. So I would bring them to the appointments with me. So I had kind of a handle on it. And eventually it was food, Mm. therapy, Mm -hmm. movement. Mm -hmm. And I still get it every once in a while, but it is much more like you said, I would even say the far end of intermittent, like once every year to two years, I'll get it for like a week. And that's usually tied to, months of stifling my emotions. And I'll have to go back and be like, Shit, you're doing the thing again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was, it was crazy. I mean, I had, I did a few things. I did some peppermint oil and and probiotics and prebiotics and all this kind of stuff yeah. naturally, but it was finding somebody to start talking to me about everything. My body was housing and yeah. why my gallbladder was not functioning, which to me felt Like, I don't like the word crazy for so many reasons, being a mental health therapist, but like, I don't have a better word right now. It felt crazy. Like how, how did my gallbladder go from 11% functioning to now suddenly I can eat a burger again and not have all these problems. And, but that was hard. And it was hard for me to get on the bandwagon to even try it because again, I had been in pain for so long. I hadn't been taken seriously. I had been told a solution that then I was told I wasn't going to have, I tried all these other things. And now I've got to put all this work in, which felt overwhelming for a possible change. Yeah. It was just, it was a lot. And I yeah. think the the connection I'm making back now to this woman that I had, this client, was how much of that was questions that were left on un, unasked. Absolutely. And <laughs> opportunities, you know, not explored. Absolutely. And the system that's designed to not allow that to happen. Like when a doctor has 10 minutes in the room with you and we're so programmed to say they got to fix us right now, we, and they are not set up to get us what we need. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you, you, you nailed it again. Uh, Honestly,
1: (laughs) I, um, that's why I love our conversations because you you get it. Uh, there's so much that I I can impact there. It is true that the system is not set up to accommodate for those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, it is unfortunate in the sense that just the way the things are set up, we are led to believe that it's, um, you know, we're very reductionist. We we mm-hmm. have a gallbladder problem. We got to remove your gallbladder. Right. You have, you know, <laughs> um, heart issues. We're going to just prescribe heart pills. Yeah. Um, what's not being done is just sort of that pain education piece. So essentially going back to your story when you were just six months fresh into your counseling career, uh, your therapy career was asking those questions. Mm. We do not, the doctors do not have the time nor the luxury, perhaps not even the know-how to ask questions. So nothing against them. It's just not part of their training to ask those meaningful questions. And I think um, because it is such a layered approach and because everything matters when it comes to pain, we need to do the, deep dive and ask those questions so that and and also the reframe like we kind of touched on before so that people can understand that it is more an opportunity to understand what is going on on the inside your body this is probably the most important thing i can say today is a friggin amazing symphony <laughs> it is designed to do some pretty incredible things and mm. we are not told that you know you're broken you've got a herniated right. dick you may not, I don't know what to do with you. I can't fix you. I can't do this. So there's that constant looking for fixing. If the messaging could be instead, guess what? Your anxiety, your pain, your, all these things, these systems put into place are there to protect you and are there to keep you safe Mm -hmm. and are there and designed in a way to heal as best as it can. So if you support those systems, if you support that gallbladder with the emotional side to it mm-hmm. with the nutritional um you know information that you need and on and the protocol to be allow your body to do what it does best, mm-hmm. then you'd be amazed at what it can do. Now, unfortunately, you get so far along in the chronic pain, ex- chronic illness experience, it yep. becomes more and more work, just like trauma. When it becomes, you know, big T trauma that's extended over time and repeated exposure, it takes more work to be able to to mitigate that to 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 change
0: that lived experience. Mm. Well, and I think two things you said that I wrote down when we go back and we think about the medical system is particularly after the pandemic we mm-hmm. are but even before that we're a band-aid system culture and what I mean by that is exactly what you said of treat the surface symptom. Yeah. So when somebody comes in to see me for an eating disorder I'm like I could get you to stop making yourself throw up in a week. That's not the problem though. The problem is all the shame, all the self-doubt, all the pain, because if we stop you from engaging in these behaviors, Mm -hmm. you're just going to find a new thing. Uh It's the same as like not drinking, not doing cocaine, not doing those things, you know, in my mom's recovery journey. Great. That's awesome that you're not doing that stuff. That's not the problem. Like, sure. That's the societally disruptive problem. If you're using cocaine and you're using these substances and all that kind of stuff, but you are feeling pain for something else and your body is doing whatever it can to try to move through it or to mask it because it's overwhelming. And right. you haven't been given the opportunity and the tools to work through it. And, and I think particularly in the physical health side, it is, it's the band-aid culture and it's the expectation is the patient. Yes. I've got a problem, fix it. I don't want to feel it. Yep. And in the sort of I don't think disnormalization is a word. I've I've learned about myself. I like to make up new words that sound real, but they're not. I like it. I'm <laughs> we'll see, it. Yeah, the, the disnormalization <laughs> of what is what is quote unquote good and bad pain, and I don't mean it like there's you know I don't want to make it so, too much of a binary, but the idea that it is okay to experience pain. It is, like you said, a messaging from the body. And sometimes we need to be with that pain to be able to do something with it. But it's also the opposite side of sometimes there is pain that needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. The second part of it, I think, is a problem in the medical system. And I see this as my husband is an emergency medicine physician and has people coming in and are actively addicted and drug seeking. It's really hard for, I think, the medical community to not become almost robotic and desensitized to asking the questions because we're, we're responding to an opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. We're responding to this epidemic of people, years of people not getting what they needed in terms of meaningful conversations, nurture, love, secure connection, all the things that we on the mental health, the coaching, the, the caregiving side are trying to combat. Now we've got people that are on this end of the spectrum. And I think people burn out. So then they've got the next person coming in talking about pain and immediately they go you just want a prescription. Right. So it it's less now about even the willingness and the know-how but the jaded pulling away from wanting to ask the question because mm-hmm. you're so programmed to think it's like a bullshit meter and you just yeah. think it's happening and that to me that's the larger issue That then the individual that is suffering, the individual that is struggling, the people you're working with every day, they get to the point where they are suicidal. They're, you know, like they can't live anymore because their pain is so bad and they don't know what to do. And they just want something. They're getting lost in the systems issue and they're getting missed. And it's how do we create space on both sides for those empathetic Mm -hmm. conversations for those invitations? for the accountability for the individual and the compassionate witnessing and the experiencing from the provider. And that is, to me, it sounds like that's what you're trying to do is to get people at the table in that space. But we have a long way to go to get there. Absolutely. Yes. I, our system's really good at the acute.
1: So, you know, disease, um, diagnosing, um, issues with the tissues, really fantastic at that. But um, and unfortunately, a lot of the science is based on kind of the old view of, of what pain is. And that yeah, very acute. That was the understanding of it for forever. And then it's, you know, body body and mind are completely separate. And systems are separate, very reductionist. Mm-hmm. But chronic pain is not that it's it's kind of the opposite. And so it does take creating space to have those conversations. It does take, um, asking questions and having courageous, you know, leaps of faith, um, Like you did to be able to trust that your doctor saying, I don't think we need to take your gallbladder out. I think we need to explore (laughs) other points. And so thank goodness, you know, she believed that there's so much more to it because there is there is absolutely so much more. And it's exactly why I do what I do, because I realized once I started doing this, going down this rabbit hole around chronic pain, I was shocked as to how much is actually um, um, self-manageable.
0: Yeah. Well, so much. And I'm curious, you know, so we're having this conversation, we're going there, we're ready to to dive deep into these pieces. We're also, you're working with people directly that have chronic pain, that are experiencing it, that have been living with it, who have been reduced by these systems, who have had shame layered on shame. They feel shame because their body is broken. They feel shame because we're a hustle culture and you should be able to do more and take more and you should be fine and put that away. That's inconvenient. And again, sort of disattuned to your, I'm going to keep making up words, attuned to your body so that you can get to a place of just doing more rather than being with your body. And so those, the wiring's off, the listening is off. We don't even know what our body wants anymore. How, how do you get, because I could just imagine the internal story is like, I'm too broken. The -hmm. problem is me. And you believe it. You've been told it. You've been, you've internalized it. You've been telling yourself it for years. How do they take that next 1% change, take that step to start connecting with someone like you? How do they, how do we get them out the door? Because the, again, the long-term goal is be that empowered decision-maker, be the, yeah. you know, the chronic pain warrior, as you said, mm-hmm. but that can feel so far away from somebody that's feeling so broken. So what is that first step for them? Yeah, great, great
1: question. Um, and I'm going to grapple this for the rest of my life because I, want to know exactly that we do know uh when it comes to human psychology that there is sort of this um really predictable path that you're either sort of ready to change to make that to do that work or you're not right i mean it's not Mm. that linear but it is um you know are you in contemplation are you starting to think there is Mm. more than what your doctor is telling you are you feeling like you know I feel like I'm not getting all the answers I need. I feel like my pain's not being addressed as well as it could be. So those are sort of the questions. If you feel like those are questions that are popping up in your head, then chances are pretty good. You are wanting to be more curious. You know, that's where we need to be to be able to take that next leap of faith. If you are stuck in the muck where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to go talk to my doctor. He's the only one who can give me the answers. Uh, Otherwise, I'm just going to have to live in this for the rest of my life. You know, then we are in a stickier place. Mm. Then we are um, in the dark a little bit more around perhaps what your role is. We are so used to being what can be done to me. (laughs) Um, So it becomes my hope, honestly, is that once people start to learn a little bit more, for me, it starts with awareness, Mm. asking the right questions, just like you did not so long ago with your, you know, that lady Mm -hmm. low back pain is for allowing a safe space to explore, you know, the what ifs, like if, if you wanted to learn more about what that gallbladder meant, Mm. what would it feel like? What would, you know, what possible outcomes could we get by perhaps exploring just beyond what the medication is, is giving you, you know, and, and if you can allow that space for people to start thinking around, wow, you know, maybe, maybe I can ask questions to my doctor and say, Hey, is there anything that I can do? (laughs) You know, if you feel like that safe space for conversation is allowing you to have aha moments where you're like, wow, you know what? Um, maybe there is more I can do. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's kind of where we need to get people to. And, and that can be a difficult thing to do because not everyone will want to be there.
0: Right. Right.
1: Right. And, and, and not for any reason other than it's just life is difficult enough as it is. I don't have the the bandwidth to be able to <laughs> explore or do more. Yeah. So yeah. that would I think. But I think I honestly believe that um, one of my favorite pain researchers, Dr. Laura Mosley, and uh, out of sort of sorry, out of Australia, he says understanding pain changes pain. And I use that one a lot because once we can offer human beings who live with pain the chance to understand a little bit more about what's going on on the inside, first of all, how amazing your body is and be how protective pain actually is, how anxiety serves us well in many Mm -hmm. respects, how pain is so powerful that it changes your behavior for a very good reason. And that sometimes our systems can be a little skewed, you know, sometimes chronic pain goes a little too far and gets a little messy. You know, if we can know that upfront, that's like you saying to that lady with low back pain, this is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And if we can kind of get them in that moment of feeling like this is opportunity, as opposed to feeling defensive, feeling like this is not for me, this is not going to work. That's
0: when we're in a better space. When I think, you know, one of the things that's really I don't know. I guess just sitting with me as you talk about that is that notion of. So you mentioned contemplation, sort of the idea of what stage of motivation are they at? You know, are we in that place of I know smoking is bad for me, but I'm going to keep smoking, Mm -hmm. or am I in that? Gosh, I know smoking is bad for me. I'm still smoking, and maybe maybe I want to explore something else. You know, there is that natural phase in presentation. It's also realizing, I think what you've maybe found for yourself or held onto is the idea that we can't bulldoze anybody into being motivated to do the work and to change their mindset. And so I think the question also is, how are you feeling? If you go back to your word, if you go back to contentment, if we go back to fulfillment, Mm -hmm. are you feeling content? Are you feeling fulfilled in your life? And what does that mean? What does that look like? Right. And is this it? Because you deserve to feel those things. And sometimes that means working with things like if somebody was born and they require the use of a wheelchair for their body to move around, that might be the way they get around the world. And we might, that might be a radical acceptance point. You use a wheelchair and the world isn't always designed to make everything as, as accessible and easy for you. But then there are certain things. Again, I'll use my gallbladder as the example of and I I have TMJ too. So I suppose I actually experience things more than I realize. Mm -hmm. And and I remember, yeah, I know, right? (laughs) We got we gotta work on this a little bit (laughs) because I am well aware now that these things happen. Also, like every month on my cycle, noticing pain comes back pretty strongly. Oh, there you go. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot I think I've repressed in terms of how my body houses pain. But there's this idea too of like. What if instead of seeing it, cause I, and I do, I do that. Like I see it as something to get past, to move through, or I use it as shame against me. Mm-hmm. I, I've caused this I've used, you know, I'm not handling things well enough. And now this is the recourse of stuff too. So I think the idea for someone to have a different conversation. Like they, they almost need it to be that it's somebody else's problem. They need to give control and power to somebody else to fix it because they don't trust themselves enough anymore to be in control of their own, like your dad. Just like my dad, exactly. exactly. Like I can't be in this position. And I think that's the part that's really hard is to get people back to a place of self-efficacy, of self-love to realize, man, you're going to get it wrong nine times out of 10. I do. I am, I am trained in this. I am a therapist and I get up all the time when it comes to how I deal with my own shame, my daughters, my moms, my partners, like we're just learning. And yeah. I think in that is also parenting has really done this for me. And I, I'm not saying that everybody has to have a kid to be able to learn this lesson, but, <laughs> but I've learned that the only thing I know is that I know almost nothing. Like I am not absolutely sure on anything right anymore. And so if we can also see the medical system, like our brains are flipping fantastic, but until somebody can explain to me why we dream, how we dream exactly where that comes from in the body, why do these things, why do I, why do I get muscle twitches? And I mean, that one's a little bit easier, but like, why do these things happen? Why is our brain going there? Why pain is so close to other, uh, other processes and systems. Until you can explain all that to me, until you can explain why I've got the Macarena locked down for the rest of my life, but I can't remember my client's name from last week without double checking 32 times, Yeah, we don't get the brain fully yet. And the brain is not disconnected from the body. Right. It is the central hub in the body. So I yeah. think it's getting back to, you didn't mess up. You're not broken. Your doctor also doesn't know everything either. They exactly. They are learning as we go. We thought butter was bad for us. Now we're saying it's okay. We thought apples were good. Now we're saying too much might not be great. Cheese, (laughs) eggs, like everything changes. Yes, yes. So like, what if we just continue to be open and to be curious curious and to allow ourselves to flop through it? Like might try something and you might have a a bigger pain day. You might try something and have a no pain day or a mediocre pain day. And how do we not see the pain as the thing we're focused on? But the understanding of why that signal keeps going off is being what we're focused on.
1: Right. And I think curious could be the biggest gift we could offer. And just to get back to what you were saying around, you know, just shame and emotions in the brain and pain, like they're they're a powerful sisterhood. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. they <laughs> do play off each other. And once we start to understand that, you know, the brain is just so damn interesting and so involved in your pain experience. Uh, and here are the reasons why. And I mean, I sometimes I get caught up in the explanation when you don't want to overdo that. But at the same time, I think it's important for people to understand. It's kind of like making sense of yeah. why when I am really feeling sad, my pain is amplified, you know? Mm. So, and, and I mean, shame in itself is such a deep emotion that yes, it's absolutely going to have its impact on pain, right. but it also serves its purpose too, because it's kind of showcasing, okay, I'm not living true to my values right now. So I need to do something. Mm. Right. And so that's what pain does. It is so powerful. So effective. It's trying to tell us to do something different.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, I, I love, I mean, obviously, I would love to talk to you for six more hours on this <laughs> because I just it's that flow you described in the right. beginning. Yeah. I keep I pulled your website back up as you we were talking just because I love I love the the logo, the the waves, and people oh. can't see that in your background because you know we're just listening, but they're, they're in the background too. But I just love this idea of Really thinking about ripples Mm -hmm. and the experience. And that's a lot of the work that I do with people when it comes to, you know, we're not we're not doing shame absolution. That's not possible. Shame Mm -hmm. is an emotion. We're gonna have it for the rest of our life. We're always gonna feel like there's a threat. We're talking about shame resilience. And I think what we're talking about here, you know, I love that pain to possibilities and Mm -hmm. you like that being your company name, like that's the point. Is like we are talking about pain resilience. We're talking about The goal isn't to rid you of pain. The goal is to learn how to attune yourself to see pain as a really powerful communication source, to not be so afraid of it, to be open to it and to recognize, again, sometimes there's pain that's like, I just was working out and something popped and I can't move. I should probably go see my doctor because I can't move my foot for, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's a different type, like what we're describing here, the the soreness, the tension. I'm now again connecting the dots to my TMJ. Mm-hmm. What is it about the sort of themes, the experiences? And I think it's also us becoming curious as researchers mm-hmm. to realize that, gosh, I don't know anything about my body yet. Like I'm, I'm 35, and I am just starting to figure out what my body needs to feel full, to feel complete, to feel rested, to feel like, I don't know. And it's changing all the time. It was different before I had a kid. It was different Mm -hmm. before I was in my thirties. You know, it's going to keep evolving. And so I think it's that. And so I think about this and I think about, okay, so people that are listening to this, there's going to be sort of two sides of listenership. One is going to be the person that's I experienced chronic pain, may or may not have had it diagnosed, may or may not have already named it, but they're there, they experience it. And then the second cohort will be people that they don't experience this, but they recognize somebody in their life does. And they want to be a better listener. They want to be a better question asker. They want to be more in line with what we're talking about. And so I don't know if it'll be the same or both, but I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about if you could kind of gift the listeners with what their one takeaway, because they might be overwhelmed. Like this is a lot. Like my brain is going in a million directions as I'm connecting dots. (laughs) What what would be that next step? What would be that sort of curious unturning place for those two groups that maybe we could invite them to take Mm
1: -hmm. as we
0: wrap up the episode?
1: Mm, Okay. Yeah, I keep coming back to curiosity. I really do Mm. because uh, I think if, 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 Loved ones or those who live with pain um, can be open enough and curious enough. And that can be really hard when you're living and when you're having a really bad pain day. Maybe that's not the day you start your curiosity. Maybe you just get through the day and that's okay. But when you do have a moment when you think, I think there is more to this, be curious uh, that's when the door opens just to crack and we let the yep. light in and we seek out information. Now, the problem is with the chronic pain experience, you're seeking information um, all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, there's a lot of good content out on YouTube. <laughs> there really is. Um, they can reach out to me. Just to start to explore. I think that curiosity is key. Yeah. I do believe, I'm a firm believer, like once you are ready to hear the message, that's when the teacher shows up. Mm-hmm. And so if people can be open to learning and understanding that it's going to be almost a lifetime learning, I'm 53 mm-hmm. and still piecing it together, mm-hmm. uh, then that's where we need to come from, a, a place of curiosity, a place of safety. I am ready to explore. I am ready to feel comfortable enough to ask those questions.
0: I I love that. And the sort of two things you said, so, one should not watch Sesame Street as much anymore, but I'm sure I've got many more years of Sesame Street left, but they have this phrase now that they use when they talk about solving any problems, when they get frustrated, angry, overwhelmed, it's, I wonder what if let's try. And yeah. I love that as sort of the piece of just thinking about, I wonder mm-hmm. what if let's try and coming back to that, you know, over and over again, like it's a very I think most of the things we need to do, it's like getting into weightlifting. Like I've learned that I'm really just interested in functional movements. I don't need to do the fancy things. I don't need to do all this stuff. I just want to be able to do the basic functional movements. It's getting back to those basic pieces. And I think with Mm -hmm. this, it's those general states of exploration that kids have that we, again, sort of condition out of ourselves. Yes. The other thing that I like that you said that I, I really want to come back to, to make sure people hear it is your 100% looks different on any given day. Mm-hmm. And so really being intentional that if you wake up and that is not the day that you're like, I'm ready to you know take it all out. Yeah, Like if we had had this conversation two weeks ago when I was in the midst of overwhelm with a lot of things happening in my life, I yeah. might not have been as willing to see some of the dots connecting in my own life. Yes. So just being really kind to yourself—that 100% looks different—and we can't project that into the future. So it can't be like on Monday I'm going to do this, this, and this. It's saying I'm going to have some intentions about how I want to show up each day. Yeah. And here's the commitment I'm making, yeah. and I'm going to give myself grace and flexibility mm-hmm. to allow that to evolve mm-hmm. while I pursue the relentless pursuit of getting where I want to go, but being open to that sort of flexible evolution. Yes. I. Yeah. I just, I love this. I, I want everybody. And I love that you said people can reach out to you because I think you really, again, you make the space feel safe. And I want people to know that you're there. You're a resource. So if people are excited about this, they want to learn more going to your website. So pain to possibilities, we'll put that down in the show notes for people. I'm going to put a link to your podcast in there, the chronic pain experience podcast. It's incredible. You're having conversations like this with so many different experts. I don't know if you've got more summits in your future, like the one that we did last year, but maybe some more summits coming up for people to engage and to connect with community. And and again, just so much of that is, you might not be ready to hear all this right now. You might think, gosh, this is great. I'm going to put a tab on it. I know it's here when I'm ready to come back. Good. Bookmark yeah. this episode. Come back when you're ready to hear it. And if you're ready now, don't wait. When you finish listening, yes. go to her website, <laughs> send the message, let your motivation carry you through past that fear of reaching out and having the hard conversations. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know what else to say other than thank you. This has been oh. such a Thank for all you. of us listening, talking oh. for me. Oh my goodness. Thank you. you
1: no, know, this has been honestly made my day. And, and I, <laughs> I was always excited about actually I was so excited about this interview that I got on three hours early, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah <you
0: did. laughs>
1: So there you go. I, I thank uh, you for doing what you do.
0: Oh, it's amazing. Well, we will continue these conversations. I'm sure there's going to be more visits in the future for <laughs> Anyone listening to this, let us know where your questions still are. If this is kicking up new things that we want to talk about, things that you want to check out on Dina's podcast, on my podcast, whatever that is, but knowing that this is like both of us said, this is an iterative process. It's a lifelong journey. We are not fixing, solving anything in 45 minutes. We're just opening the door to understanding, to curiosity, to learning. Mm -hmm. And again, check out the show notes. There's going to be so much information down there for you, all the different resources that she mentioned, also all of her information. Be sure to share this episode with somebody that you think could benefit from hearing it, has maybe felt like they've been left out of the conversation, ignored, dismissed, help them come into the light and feel seen as well. And as always, we will see you here next Sunday.